0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis Classics. Today's episode is a conversation with the Hall of Famer Steve Flink on the 1985 French Open final between Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. This is the greatest rivalry in the history of tennis. The MMA Classics catalog would not be complete without uh, one of their matches and this is probably their quintessential meeting. It was a pleasure to uh, revisit it despite a a recording that was crazy because you'll see we'll discuss uh the television issues that this match had uh, but but yeah it was really good and uh, Steve remembers every point as usual, even though the match was in 1985 it was uh, a really a really good conversation. I enjoyed it. Hope you will as well. Here it is. We're joined once again by Hall of Fame tennis writer of Tennis.com with his new book out, Pete Sampras, Greatness Revisited. Steve Flink joins the program once again. Steve, good to see you again.
1: Good to be with you, Gil. Looking forward to a, to chewing on another topic. We've got a great women's rivalry to discuss tonight.
0: Yes, we do. We continue uh, our series of uh, Monday Match Analysis Classics where we dig into some of uh, some old matches that are just really well worth revisiting and I definitely wanted to do a Chrissy versus Martina match because it's the greatest rivalry in the history of tennis right and that's not a statement that that you'd take issue with
1: you could argue that it's the greatest rivalry in the history of sports I I, I've had other and sometimes I I didn't want to trust my own judgment on that entirely because I don't know the other sports as well but I bounced that off other sports writers and sports historians and they. The case is there, I think. You could make the case, considering that with 16 years, 1973 through 88, 80 matches, Chrissy with a big lead early on at leading 20 to 4 in the rivalry up from 73 to 78. And Martina took over. Chrissy came back. It had everything. And eventually, Martina won the series, but only by 43-37. But to play for 16 consecutive years, the only... The only sad part, I think, Gil, is that they didn't meet in Chrissy's last year. 89 was her last year on the tour. They they didn't, you know, we, we didn't get a match that year, strangely, and uh, at, at majors or anywhere else. But the previous 16, we sure did. And there, some of those were just, there were some dandies in there. And, and the one we're going to focus on tonight certainly was, I, I would argue, was their greatest match.
0: 85 French Open final we're talking about. But first... Um, back to the, the greater theme of how dominant they both were. Uh, they, they ended up meeting 80 times. Um, and it's a stark contrast to what women's tennis has been like in the 21st century. Although Serena's been dominant, her, uh, her rivals have been kind of on a rotating basis. I do wonder what you feel is better for the sport, parity or dominance?
1: I, I lean toward the former. I mean, I think you need, you certainly need continuity. Interestingly enough, I did a forum with Chrissy and Martina last year at the US Open, and I brought that up, and Martina immediately jumped in and agreed. I said, The biggest problem in women's tennis right now is a lack of continuity. And I think that can really hurt. You don't—you—you—you—you you, you know, the Andrescu's and the Osaka's and these players when they jump into the fray and start winning majors, it's not that they have to then dominate. And Osaka got a second one. That was great. But you want them to, to, to sort of show they're worthy of it. And you want them to develop rivalries with other, you know, one major championship, champion versus another is ideal. We had it with Celis and Graf. We had it with the Williams sisters, Venus and Serena, you know, all through history. But in, in, the, in the last decade, we haven't had enough of it. We've had Serena as the superstar. And as you mentioned, too many understudies, but not enough chief rivals for serena
0: and I agree I think the the star building is important, and that 's what ultimately elevates the sport. Um, Chris and Martina also have or i almost said had i should say have a great relationship, and that started a while back before they were you know on the at the very top of uh, of the tour um, but I do understand that it wasn't a completely continuous friendship. And by 85, do you have any insight on where their their friendship was?
1: No, it's it's very hard to, to. they, they weren't good, they were doing well then. You know, the, the hardest yeah. part, the most difficult period was really the start of the 80s, that period in say 81, 82, Nancy Lieberman came in as, as sort of the fitness guru for Martina and she had this philosophy that Martina needed to, she couldn't like Chris. The, the 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 idea was you must hate your opponent, or that was the gist of it. You cannot, you are not going to compete favorably if you really like the other. but If you're too sympathetic to them on a personal level and you see them as such a friend, she's the enemy. That's how Nancy Lieberman, Lieberman looked at things. And of course, she was a great basketball player. She had her own philosophy. Those were the more difficult years. Eighty-five, they. They, uh, Chris and Martina were getting along well and they, they did through most of their careers. But yeah, I would say at this point, things, things were fine. The the difficulty was just the competitive part of it, Gil, because Martina had won 13 in a row from the end of 82, right through the 84 U.S. Open. That The 84 U.S. Open, a heartbreaking loss for Chrissy and a great win for Martina was the 13th triumph in a row for Martina over Chrissy. Then at the start of this 1985 season, uh, Everett finally beat Navratilova in Florida on the hard courts and that ended the streak but then Martina beat her two more times leading up to the French, so she'd won 15 of their last 16 head-to-head encounters that certainly was tough on on Everett and it 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 I don't say that there was any extra strain but it's never easy when you have two formidable rivals like that and one of them is taking it on the chin over and over again and frustrated by that but they were they were very respectful at this stage, no doubt about that.
0: Of course, and and one of those Martina wins was the nineteen eighty four uh, French Open final, and it it wasn't competitive at all, was it? It was well, it was, it was
1: competitive. It was it was competitive, Gil. But it was the best. It, the score's a little misleading because it, okay. it, it was fighting hard, and but it, I think it was the best clay court match Martina's ever played, and one of the very best matches she's ever played on any surface because she just wasn't giving anything away. And, she still was attacking, but she was able to spar with Chrissy from the backcourt. It was a really brilliant performance, and I, I mean, Ever did not get totally discouraged, but Navratilova was just she was uh, unshakable that day. It was a gem of a performance from her on the clay.
0: They come into this eighty-five final as, as you said, uh, Martina is has come out victorious in fifteen of their last sixteen meetings. And and, you know, in the Roland Garros final the the year prior, you mentioned Martina really made that that statement on clay. So she's the heavy favorite going into this 85 final.
1: Well, yes, heavy might be a little bit a little too strong a word, Gil. But she was a clear, Mm -hmm. she certainly was the favorite, no doubt about it, clay or no clay. But here's the thing: what was interesting was that there was a lot of rain that morning, and there was a lot of wind. Then the sun came out, and then throughout the match, the sun was in and out. The wind was ever present. And those conditions, when, I think when the players saw that, uh, the two, these two themselves, but also fellow players, they thought, wait a minute, this might be a, an Everett day because uh, she grew up in the wind in Florida. She, she really handled the wind beautifully. Her ball control was so extraordinary and she could lob well into the wind and test Martinez overhead to the hill. And so no doubt that the windy conditions were in her favor. But that's still, but Martina remained the favorite
0: right, and she came out of the gate, Chrissy did with with plenty of lobs to test that Martina overhead, It even earned yeah. her a, an early break in the match, um and Martina, of course, such a precise player would would prefer the conditions to be still, so the wind doesn't carry her toss, and that she can play play her aggressive brand of tennis,
1: yeah, absolutely, but it was an interesting, as you say. I mean, Chris came out of the gates. She won those first three games, but she was down 15-40 in the first game. Then Martina had a game point in the second game. Then Chris was down break point again in the third game. So Martina had chances in all three games. And then what, lo and behold, Navratilova comes back and captures the next three games, levels the the set at three all before Christy captured the last three games from three all at the cost of only three points. She played. Probably her most error free, solid strategic tennis in that sequence of games to close out the first set with three games in a row.
0: I hesitate in mentioning this, but i I do think it it's probably part of the experience or for sure it's part of the experience of watching this match at the time uh, if you If you weren't there, if you were in the United States, is that NBC's coverage was on tape delay because of scheduling conflicts, and they had to edit it down the first three games of the first set. And then they played the third set in its totality. My biggest takeaway from that is first of all, it's a, a travesty. And I'll, you know, I can I can leave it at that. But also, how far has has women's tennis come? Because that is just unfathomable nowadays.
1: No, absolutely right, Gil. Now, I was there. I was very surprised when I got back home and looked at my tape. I was there in Paris for the match. But Yes, you bring up a very valid point. Keep in mind for those listening to us now that it was on tape delay in those days. You weren't talking about a live final. It came out in the afternoon. Uh and and so that was another it was another factor was uh, you know, they they could put together that tape package as and NBC did that. But you would have wished, you would have hoped that they could have uh extended the coverage because it was one of the the classic it in the 80 matches, I would still argue that it was the greatest match they ever played against each other for a variety of reasons. Uh, a, a critical match in the rivalry, and to have it spliced up the way you described is was a pity.
0: Yeah. Well, Everett is playing brilliant tennis through through the third set and uh, gets out to a, a lead in the second it, set and comes really, really close to taking an, an absolute stranglehold on this match.
1: Yes, Gil, Absolutely. They started the second set off, and Martina had a 40-love lead on her serve in the first game. Chrissy broke her, and then Martina broke back. This was sort of a, a – that was the pattern of the match. There was a lot of break exchange, but Chrissy then went up 3-1 and went up 4-2, and she had Martina down 15-40 in the seventh game. That was a crucial game. Martina put together a brilliant serve in volley to save the first break point and then hit a perfect first serve down the t to save the second and held on. That was critical because if Chrissy could have held and gone up 5-2, double break, that cushion, I think, would have been enough to get her through that match comfortably in straight sets. Instead, Martina stormed back, went up 5-4, had a set point. Chrissy saved it. And then, interestingly, Gil, having been down set point, ever uh, held on and then broke and served for the match. But she really, as she would say later, she was a little too cautious. She was kind of hoping that Martina would give it to her there rather than taking the initiative and and playing a little more aggressively in what had given her the lead she didn't maintain that standard martina broke back and then won the tiebreaker where she was really always had the upper hand martina won the tiebreaker 7 points to 4 so that took us into a third set
0: yeah it, it was interesting after after the match martina basically said whoever got ahead uh was playing too cautiously but i think she's right large- probably-
1: I think yeah. she's absolutely right. But it would, in fairness, it was Everett that was ahead through most of the match. Martina was the one coming from behind. You know, that first set that we already described, three love, three all, then six three Everett. Second set, uh, Everett up four two, you know, serves for the match. And then five, it loses it in a tie break. So she was the one always building these leads. And Martina, to her credit, really competed very well on a day when she started off kind of apprehensively and also was definitely compromised by that wind and was trying to find her range. And there were stretches where her overhead was perfect. Other times not same with her first serve. And she struggled to maintain her ball control off the ground as well. It was tough conditions, but she kept fighting back. And that's what happened in the third as well.
0: Right. In the third, Chris, again, builds herself a lead, but this is really there are so many momentum swings in this set because serving was, was barely an advantage. And it was really break after break after break through the early stages of this third set.
1: Yeah, for absolutely Gill. And for a couple of reasons, one, Martina didn't get as much. She didn't have as much of an advantage serving and volleying indoors on a pretty fast court. It was much harder for uh, Chris to break her and on hard courts as well. And obviously on the grass at Wimbledon, but this was clay. And this was a windy day. The combination was obviously going to make it tough for Martina, but she, she balanced the scales by having a pretty good day on the return. She really worked her way into those return games and, that, and was able to break back a lot. And that was, the, that was really the size and shape of the third set because Chris got the immediate break, Gil, had the two-love lead. And then she, she was up 40-15 in the third game missed a forehand and then lost a 35-stroke rally. On the 35th stroke, she made it unforced error, pressed to the her back, in three game points in that game, but doesn't hold. But then, having been broken, she breaks Martina again, goes up 3-1 and has a couple of game points to go up 4-1, but Martina breaks back again and gets to 3-all. And from that point on, it was just pulsating. It was such a fascinating skirmish right to the end. At at three all, Chris was down break point, Gil, and and hit a nice side spin forehand approach that forced Martina into a passing shot error off the forehand. And then at deuce in that game, she came in on her forehand again, forced another errant passing shot. It was very smart for her to kind of catch Martina on her heels by approaching on the forehand rather than the backhand. And she got through that big game to hold on for 4-3, broke her for 5-3. So for the third time in the set, Gil, she's up a break. This time, though, serving for the match, but the same thing happened as was the case when she served for the match in the second set. She got tight. She kind of was hoping that Martina would maybe donate some errors, and it didn't happen. Martina broke her easily, and then got back to five all. And then that eleventh game, Gill of the third set, was one of the more remarkable pendulum swinging games they ever had, not only at Roland Garros, but in the in the long and illustrious rivalry because Chris got down. She started with a double fold. Martina kind of intimidated her five all by looking ready to run around her back end to crush her forehand returning. Everett double folded, and then Martina got to love 40. And at that point, she's won 11 of the last 12 points. All the momentum is with her, and it looks like she's going to break and perhaps serve out the match. But she made a little loose error off the forehand. Then Everett hit a back end cross court winner. And then at 30 40, they had this. Strange point, Gil, where uh, Martina drop shot. And Chris came in to cover the drop shot. And she got some unintentional side spin on her backhand. And she came back over the net and took a strange bounce. Martina was sort of caught off guard. And she lifted her, her next backhand up high. I and mean, now they're both up the net. And Chris hit the backhand volley down at Martina's feet to win that point. That was a crucial point. She went on to get the hold for 6-5. And then that last game was just a beauty because she, she started Everett started with a top spin lob winner off her backhand. And then she had a great forehand pass and Martina still went to 40, 30 and Chris got it back to deuce. Martina misses a backhand going behind Chris. So suddenly there she is at match point. And Martina made a very good approach down the line of her backhand and Chris on the dead run passed her down the line for a pretty scintillating winner to close out the match in style seven, five in the third. It was it was a, definitely an epic, the most classic confrontation they ever had.
0: That match point was was gorgeous. The way it she was. leaned it into was. that backhand down the yep. line. One of the more iconic ones.
1: What's interesting is you might have heard, you, you you said you watched the NBC tape, and I know that the announcers on NBC, they were talking about Joanne Russell, who was a former player herself, and Bud Collins and Dick Enberg, and, and especially Bud and Joanne were discussing – Martina's approach shots. Now, Martina, being a left-hander, well, the natural approach is is down the line, but that's going to Chrissy's strength, the two-hander. And they thought she was doing better by by approaching on her forehand. But I think what was being ignored was that's a cross-court approach. That's giving Everett a, some real openings to go down the line. The not the the shot that you're gonna play more often than not is because my point being, Martina didn't like coming in off a of forehand as much as she should she did the back end because the back end was a natural slice leaning into it, biting slice. What is one of the great approach shots in the women's game that I've ever seen. So it's, it's a little, it's a difficult choice. Cause you go across court, you're creating the angles and it's gotta be perfect. It's gotta be deep in the corner or else. and, and it's also not a great option either because uh, although Everett's forehand pass was not quite up to the level of her backhand pass, it was still, and you know, it was still extraordinary. She had the best, passing shots. If you look at forehand and backhand combined that we've ever seen in women's tennis
0: at three, four 30, 40, um, Martina looking to, to save the break point. She does go cross court with her backhand approach. Yeah. shot. Yeah. And, and Chris burns her with a, with a cross court angle scraped off the ground, a gorgeous passing shot. I felt the whole yeah. match that Martina.
1: Gil, let me just comment on that. You're absolutely yeah. right. It, the beauty of that shot, she was playing with the graphite by then. It was a shot she wouldn't have played quite as well when she had the wood, but it was a beautiful follow through over her shoulder. She got just that little bit of topspin to get the angle, to get it past her cross court. And then she did a little fist pump, which was unusual for her, but that was a beautiful passing shot. And you would have thought Gil now that you bring up the point that it would have given her the buoyancy to then serve out the match. It was such a big lift to make that pass and now be, serving for the title but it just didn't work out she she was a little too conscious of the score at 5-3 that that forehand pass was a beauty and that you're only i think backing up my point it was no bargain to come in on her forehand
0: either i i thought that martina really struggled to find an approach shot that she could repeat with success in this match and i i felt what she ultimately went to too often uh perhaps because of the uncertainty and martina has so many tools is is the drop shot which she did use really successfully um you know on a, on a couple of occasions in this third set but yeah and, she, went and she to used it a few too many times
1: No you're right she may have overdone it but it, she had pretty good feel on her back end that day and she hit some beauty she hit some really yeah. nice back end cross court drop shots you're right she showed a lot there was a lot of virtuosity a lot of variety from martina it was one of those it was a classic chess match between these two cerebral players, I would call them. Both of them really knew how to plot their way through matches and try to impose themselves with their respective strategies. And this one was no exception. They played remarkably well in the wind. I would say this, Gil, as great as the standard was in this match, I thought that it was even higher the next year. The scores wouldn't show it, two, six six, three, six three forever. But I, it was a really high-quality match. There was no win, very little win the next year. Conditions were better. And they played another great, so it was back-to-back Everett Navadilova finals at Roland Garros. And that was where she had her most success. Martina won 10 of the 14 Grand Slam finals she played against Chris at the majors. But three of the four wins for Chris were at Roland Garros, 75, 85, and 86. Martina had a 7-0 and record against Chris at in Wimbledon and U.S. Open finals. And that, that was really the, the, the biggest difference. In, in, that's really what's separate. If you look at it, she won the rivalry by six matches and won their, their, maybe their seven biggest matches if you look at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open combined.
0: Yeah, it's, it so often plays out that way. Contrasting styles, you know, yeah. Chris's game suited for the slower surface, Martinez suited for the faster surface, and sometimes it's just about where the, more, where the most matches are played.
1: But this one, yeah, absolutely. But what was fun about this one is I mentioned that point early in the third with Chris losing a 35-stroke rally. Who would think that Martina could win? A, and she won another one early in the third, very similar, same-length rally. And then who would think that Chris would win some very critical points, even on the clay, by coming in and not only coming in, but approaching on the Navarro They both, Their instincts were were excellent, both of them. They both played a very... Tactically, tactically sound match. You were mentioning about Martina with the drop shot overdoing it. I think part of it is she really had to. That was one of those options she had to exercise. And I think sometimes it was just not good execution. I'm not sure. You know, she got burned a few times too. Absolutely. A couple of times, Chris got onto them and came in quickly and put them away. You know, she got up to them quickly and hit two in it back in winners cross court. But some of it was just Martina didn't execute quite as well, and it wasn't easy in those gusty conditions.
0: They both of them agree that they made each other better. Uh, Chris says that Martina made her become a more mobile player uh, because Martina was such a dominant athlete. And uh, Martina will say that Chris made her mentally stronger because because Everett was was so uh, level on the court and so mentally tough. And she prided herself in being a great match player. I mean, the fact that both of them elevated each other and then they finish with 18 majors each, it, it's a very poetic rivalry when you look at it holistically.
1: So true. And interestingly enough, Gil, it was a 16-11. Chris had won 16 majors, Martina 11 coming into this match. Then, as you say, they end up 18-18. And Martina wasn't able to catch Chris to actually end their career level like that until she won the 90 Wimbledon the year after Everett retired she won Wimbledon or ninth Wimbledon that gave her her 18th major. It was fitting in a way because in the early years, Chris had the big edge of that period of 73 to 78 that I mentioned Then Martina had that dominant phase, the 13 in a row. And then toward the end, they, they, uh, they both won their share, which was really nice. I mean, Chrissy winning these two French finals in 85 and 86 also beat Martina in the 88 semis of the Australian, you know, so then Martina, right after this match at Roland Garros, beat Chris in the Wimbledon finals. They, But it became so much more competitive again, and they had some really high-quality matches uh, in 85, 86, and 87.
0: Another thing impossible not to notice on the broadcast is that there were some retirement murmurs um, on, on the part of Chris Everett. And I wonder if this match, which is something that I think she's alluded to, kind of gave her new life and, and prolonged her career?
1: Well, you know, she doesn't, I, I told her, she doesn't remember this, but I remember it vividly because at the time of the 84 U.S. Open, and she's still married to John Lloyd. And John, I saw John not long after the, the, the heartbreaking loss that Everett had against Navratilova in that three-set U.S. Open final. It was 4-6, 6-4, 6-4 for Navratilova. It looked after that first set with a crowd... Going wild that Everett might finally end the losing streak didn't happen. She she told John Lloyd, and she doesn't remember this anymore. But I I he told me right after that she said this would could have been the perfect match to retire on, thinking that if she, only she could have beaten Martina in New York that day, it would have been she could have gone out on on top in her mind and finally ended the streak. But conversely, then it also drove her on. It gave her that purpose and edge and enthusiasm to keep trying. And so this win in Paris was big. It was similar in a way, Gil, to her beating Tracy Austin at the 1980 U.S. Open. She'd lost to Tracy five in a row, starting with the 79 U.S. Open all the way up into early 80. Then she took a little break from the tour in the winter, came back in the spring. She and Tracy didn't meet again until the Open semifinals, and Chris won that match in three sets. Both times, the 80 Open and the 85 French, it definitely had lasting implications terms of encouraging her to play at the level she wanted for years to come no doubt about it so it's a good good uh reference on your part
0: yeah what what uh there's not much of a better way to end it than that great anecdote there and uh Steve this has been great as always I think we decided that um I'm going to read the the Sampras book and then we'll discuss it shortly thereafter right
1: Absolutely. I'm gonna get it to you. I look forward to it. I know you'll absorb all of it and you'll have plenty of fascinating questions. But I hope I think you'll enjoy it because it's a very tennis heavy book. Uh I mean it I, I really go in depth into these matches, but then also into many surrounding factors, what the other players were thinking. I got to more than twenty other players, the likes of Ivan Isovich and Rafter, Edberg, Vilander, Curry, or Chang, even got to Novak Djokovic to get him to talk about what it was like as a boy watching Sampras play, you know, his first big idol. So there's a lot from others and a lot from Pete himself and his recollections and goes into other aspects of his life and career too. But I think you'll enjoy the, the kind of uh, serious treatment that I give the tennis.
0: Oh yeah. I, I can't wait to get into it and I can't wait to, to discuss it with you. So we'll talk soon. And uh, thanks as always for doing this.
1: Thank you, Gil. I enjoyed it.